Joshua chapter 4, Joshua chapter number 4, and beginning with verse number 19. Joshua chapter 4, beginning with verse 19. This is part 2, part 2 of possessing your land. I preached a sermon last week. Do you remember the walls of Jericho? How many remembers the sermon about the walls of Jericho? And the points of the sermon was, what was the points of the sermon? Well, you got to keep going. you got to be quiet. What was the other one? you got to show up. you got to show up at the wall. you got to keep quiet and you got to keep going. So that was last week. And this week we're going to do part two, part two of possessing the new land. Possessing the new land. So Joshua chapter 4, verse number 19. And uh, if you just go along with me and pay attention. Joshua 4, verse 19. Now the people came up from Jordan on the tenth day from the first month. They encamped in Gilead on the east of the border of Jericho. Those twelve stones which they took from the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in the time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over the Jordan or dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as your Lord your God did the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we crossed over. That all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Chapter 5, verse 1. And so it was when all the kings of the Amorites, who were on the west side of the Jordan, and all the kings of the Canaanites, who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their hearts melted, and they were no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again for the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the heel of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All of the people who came out of Egypt were males. All the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all of the people who came out had been circumcised, but all of the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked for forty years in the wilderness till all the people were with the men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he, that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised the sons whom he raised up in their place. For they were circumcised because they did not, because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was when they had finished circumcising all of the people that they stayed in the place in the camp until they were all healed. For the Lord said to Joshua, This day have I removed the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of this place will be called Gilgal. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month at twilight at the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread, parched grain, 
on the very same day. This morning, we're continuing the sermon series, Possessing the New Land. Father, add your blessing to the preaching of the word. And I pray, Lord, that everything that's said and done may bring you the glory. And everyone said, Amen. Now, I said a few weeks ago that um, God is calling us as a church to step out and to do things that are uncomfortable. Because when you sign up under the role of real commitment, one of the things that we have to know and realize is that if you are going to sign up for real commitment, then that takes courage, it takes tenacity, and it takes the ability of stepping outside of your comfort zone and having radical faith. For years, we have said, let's get God out of the box. But let me remind you, God has never been in a box. We have been in the box. We have been in a box with our thinking, with our perceptions, with our worldview, how we see things. We are the one that has created boxes in our own lives. God has never been in a box. How in the world can you confine God to a box? You can never confine God to a box. God will show up there when you thought God should have showed up here. God would have done this when you thought God should have done this. God will heal that person when you thought he didn't deserve to be healed. God has a way of showing up and showing out his glory to unexpected people and unexpected places. Do you hear me? God has a way of showing up at unexpected places to unexpected people and doing unexpected things. Because he's God. God is not in a box. We create the boxes because of our own mindset, our views, and our perceptions. And we are confronted with this story, the story of the children of Israel. They are known as the Hebrews. They're known as God's people. They're known as the Jews. Their forefather is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you will recall that in the book of Genesis, God gave a word to a man by the name of Abraham. And he said to Abraham, from your loins, I am going to have a group of people, and this group of people will be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give my people a piece of land, and it's called the promised land. And it is on that land they will demonstrate to the world that there is only but one God. And as I am preaching, I think that it would behoove me to say this, that we stand with the nation of Israel. That land belongs to them because God gave a promise thousands of years ago that that land belongs to them. That land does not need to be divided. That land belongs to them because God is a promise-keeping God. And the moment we come against His people and the moment we come against the land that He has given, that is the moment that we get ourselves in trouble. You hear me? So... God gave this land to His people. But let me encourage you this morning that just because God gives you something, it doesn't mean you don't have to fight for it. God said, I'm giving you the land. 
That is your land. And you're going to demonstrate to the world there is only one God. And you're going to worship me as one God. And I'm going to be your God. And you're going to be the masterpiece of the world. You're going to demonstrate to the world there is only one God. From that place, you're going to change the world, Israel. God gave a promise. But yet in the scriptures, they had to fight for it. God spoke to Moses and said, that's your land, fight for it. But the people were disobedient, and because they were disobedient, they all died before they ever reached the promised land. Let me say to you, ladies and gentlemen, let me say it loud and clear, that you will never reach your destiny if you doubt God. God gave a word, God gave a promise, it's your land. But those people doubted God. They complained. They wrestled with God. They served other gods. And because of that, they all died in the wilderness. They never reached their destiny. But God is still a promise-keeping God. And God raised up another leader, Sister Beaver, by the name of Joshua. And Joshua had a new vision. And Joshua had a new plan. And God said, Joshua, as I was with Moses... I'm going to be with you. Joshua, as I was with your as I was with your pastor Moses, I'm going to be with you. And Joshua, every place that you put your foot, I'm going to give it to you. Joshua, be strong and be courageous because I am a promise-keeping God. I told your pastor Moses that that land is your land and I haven't changed my mind. I haven't changed my mind because some people doubted. I haven't changed my mind because some people don't want to obey me. I am still a promise-keeping God. And my promise is going to come to pass no matter if people doubt me, no matter if people, come on somebody, complain, my promise will still come to pass. Oh, hallelujah. And I want to let y'all know today that there is coming a great revival to America and we can doubt it, we can complain about it, we can say whatever, but I still believe in the old prophet Joel that in the last days, the Spirit of God would pour out upon the earth, upon your sons and upon your daughters, and they shall prophesy and they shall dream dreams. That is still a promise. And, and, and God said, God said, I am going to keep my promise. It doesn't matter what your forefathers did. They died in the wilderness. They complained. They didn't obey my voice. But that doesn't affect my nature. I'm still going to be a promise-keeping God, Joshua. And Joshua, you're going to lead the people into the promised land. And I can just imagine Joshua thinking to himself, but Lord... We've wandered for 40 years, and these people, all they have done is complain, and most of them have died, Lord. How in the world am I going to get to the promised land with a people like this? Because you know if their parents were that way, you know some of these descendants are that way as well. But God said, Joshua, Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 8, am I right? Joshua chapter number 1, verse number 6. This is the promise that God gave to Joshua. Joshua 1 
and verse number 6. Joshua 1 and verse number 6. He said, Joshua, be strong, be of good courage, for to this people ye shall divide an inheritance, an inheritance, the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all of the law which Moses, my servant, commanded. Do not turn away to the right or to the left that ye may prosper wherever you go. You see what the Lord is saying? The Lord is saying verse number 3. Verse number 3, Joshua 1.3. He said, Joshua, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give you as I have said to Moses. And Joshua got a promise. He is ignited with passion. He is united with fervency. He has a dream to pick up the mantle of Moses and lead the people in to the promised land. And you know why you could fight when you feel discouraged? Do you know how you can fight and be strong even when you feel disheartened? You can do it if you get a word. And Joshua got a word. And Grandma Beaver, that word was, be strong, be courageous. For everywhere your foot will touch, I'm going to give it to you, Joshua. I don't know about you, but I think that I could charge hell with a water gun if I knew God was with me and if I knew that everywhere my foot touched, God was going to give it to me. Somebody say amen. It's a new day. It's a new season. God said, I'm going to bring you into Gilgal. Now, Gilgal was the first city after the Jordan. Now, the Jordan, if you'll recall, the Jordan River was the only thing that separated them from the promised land. They went to Jericho, they marched around the walls, but now they have to go to the Jordan. The Jordan was a place that God had to dry up before they crossed over. And when they crossed over the Jordan River, they were in Gilgal, and Gilgal is the first city in the promised land. But before they got to Gilgal, they had to cross over what? The Jordan. The Jordan was the only thing that separates them. And let me just say this. Jordan was a river. Jordan was water. Jordan is a symbol of baptism. And baptism is a symbol of death. Before you ever get to your promised land, you've got to go through Jordan. You've got to go through death. You've got to go through sacrifice. You've got to go through baptism before you ever get to Gilgal. Did you hear me? And sometimes we want to cross over without death. We want to cross over without dying to ourself. Jordan represents death. Jordan represents water, and water represents baptism in this context. And in order for you to get to the promised land, in order for you to get your inheritance, to get what God has promised you, you always got to cross over Jordan, and Jordan means death. I don't know about you, but I have died a thousand deaths at the altar.
You ever died at the altar? Died to yourself. Died to your will. Died to your emotions. Died to your perceptions and your views and your agenda. I've died a thousand times. God calls us to die at Jordan before you ever cross over to the promised land. And the first city in the promised land was Gilgal. And you know what God said? God said this. I'm not going to be long, but I want to tell you something. God says this in Joshua 4 verse 20. Joshua said, or verse 19, Joshua 4, 19, look at it. Now all the people came from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal. And those twelve stones which they took from Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel and said, When your children ask your fathers in this time to come, what are these stones? Then you're going to let your children know Israel crossed over on the Jordan on dry ground. Now hold on, church. God said, What I want you to do when you cross over to Gilgal, when you cross over to the Jordan, I want you to get 12 stones from the Jordan River. Those 12 stones. I want you to get those 12 stones from the Jordan River and I want you to put them in Gilgal. You know what God was saying? God was saying, I want you to take something from your past and I want you to remember it in your future so that you'll be able to tell your children's children that God was with you in the wilderness. Oh, God, God said, make sure you get 12 stones. Get it from the Jordan. The Jordan represents where you died. The Jordan represents the wilderness. The Jordan represents the awful time that you had with your forefathers. He said, what I want you to gather them, take them with you in the promised land, take those 12 stones, build a memorial, that when your children's children look at the memorial, they'll ask you, Daddy, why are there 12 stones? And you can tell your children, well, I remember years ago how God gave us this land, but we couldn't cross over because the Jordan was in our way. But we remembered how God dried up the Red Sea and we knew if God could dry up the Red Sea, then God could dry up the Jordan River. And baby, I took those 12 stones from that Jordan River because it was all dried up. I took those 12 stones because I want the future generations to know that God is the one that delivered His people from the hand of Pharaoh. God is the one that dried the Red Sea. It was God that dried the, the Jordan River. And that same God is with us today. So sometimes, if we're going to cross over, you've got to remember the past. They remember the past because of those 12 stones. And, and, and you know, Sister Raylene, Sister Beaver, they've been attending this church longer than any of us. I love to sit down with them and they tell me stories. Pastor, I remember on a Sunday night, somebody got healed. And the doctors gave up on them. I like to hear stories where they tell me, I remember coming to church on Sunday evening and the glory of the Lord would fill the house and 
Not one of us said a word and we just sat there for hours under the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what Grandma Beaver and Sister Raylene is doing? They're sitting down with a younger guy and they're saying, Pastor, I want to show you the stones. I want to show you what God did for me. I want to show you what God did in the past. And ladies and gentlemen, do you have any stones that you can go back and say, God did it? God did it then. God can do it now. Is there anybody that can raise your hand this morning and say, I got about three or four stones that I can look back and say, God healed, God delivered, God saved, God raised me up. I got some stones this morning. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody lift up one of your hands and say, hallelujah, this morning. I got some stones this morning that you can look back and say, I remember what God did. I remember one time, let me show you a, share a stone with you. I've shared it with you before, but it's my story. I remember one time I was, didn't have any money to my name. None. Zilch. I had a car payment and several things. I was going to school, preaching, doing the best I know how to do. I was in my office, and I was praying. This was on a Friday evening years ago. I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, I don't have anything. You said you would be my provider. You said you would take care of me. And I heard Sister Beaver's still small voice that said to me that evening, just praise me. So I lifted my hands, and I just praised the Lord quietly in my office. I went to a youth rally that night. And the youth rally was at my church. Several different churches came from around the city to my church that night. And I was hosting it. And I just sat in the back as they were having their services. And all of a sudden, a preacher jumps up, odd, runs to the front, whispers into the speaker's ear, and they had a slight conversation. He then gives the microphone to the man. The man takes the microphone and said, as I was sitting here, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, we need to receive an offering for the host pastor of this church. Now, when he said that, Pastor Phil, I didn't even recognize it was me. <laughs> it didn't dawn on me it was me. But then when it dawned on me, I started crying. And I still cry to this day because I remember... God is a provider. When you feel like you have nothing and you feel like you're depleted and you feel like you're down to the barrel and you have nothing to give, we serve a God who is married to the widow. We serve a God who is a father to a fatherless. We serve a God who is a mother to the motherless. And it was that day I learned something, that no matter what predicament I'm in, it is His very nature to deliver. It is His nature to provide. And it is nature to save. They took an offering. They took an offering that day. It was, I needed like $398. It was like $420. I remember getting gas in my car thinking to myself, it's wonderful to trust God. You know what? I can look back. When I have children one day, 
I'll be able to look at my children and say to them, I remember how your dad was needed provision and God came through. I can look back and say, I remember how I pastored that church in Kentucky and how God moved and provided. And I'll look back on the six years I've been here and I'll say, you know what? And hopefully I'm still here, but I'll say how God has provided all these years. We went from a 9,000 square foot building. People said it would never happen. But I thank you for a stone. I could look back and I could... You say, why did you move here? Because there's something on the inside of me that's bigger than 9,000 square foot. There's something inside of me that's bigger. I want a big stone, ladies and gentlemen. I want a big stone because I serve a big God. How many stones do you have? How big is your stone? You can look back and say it was God that did it. God said, I want you to build a memorial. I want you to tell your children's children that it was me that brought them out. Verse 21, Joshua 4.21, Joshua said, Joshua 4.21, he states this, Then he spoke to the children of Israel, When your children ask your fathers in the time, what are these stones? Then you shall let your children know Israel crossed over on the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan River before you until you crossed over as the Lord your God dried up the Red Sea which He dried up before Him who crossed over. That all of the peoples of the earth will know that the hand of God is mighty and they will fear Him. It's interesting. You've got to have some stones in your life. But it's interesting to me that number two, not only do you got to remember the past, number two, you've got to always remember that God doesn't always move opposition. Now, He, he removes obstacles. Get this. He removed the water from the Jordan River. That's an obstacle. But he never removed the enemy, which is opposition. God will remove obstacles, but he may never remove opposition. He removed the water so they can dry, walk on dry ground, but he never removed the enemy. Now, look at it. Joshua 5 verse 1. Look at it. God doesn't remove every obstacle. Uh, Opposition. Verse number 1, chapter 5. Joshua 5, verse 1. And so, verse number 1, so it was when the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan River before the children of Israel until they crossed over that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them no longer because of the children of Israel. Do you see this? God 
never removed the enemy. He never removed the Amorites. He never removed the Canaanites. You know what God did? God allowed them to stay there, but God took the fight out of them. God took the heart out of them. You know why the enemy could not fight any longer? Because they heard what God did for the children of Israel. You see, God may not remove the opposition in your life, but God will take the strength from the enemy. Hallelujah. He will take the fight out of the enemy. And the enemy will tuck his tail and run because he has lost heart because of what God had done for you. God may not remove opposition, but he will take the fight out of the enemy. He never removed the Amorites. He never removed the Canaanites. But he took the heart out of them. He took the fight out of them. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why the prophet said, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise up against me in judgment, it will be condemned. The enemy may not leave, but he is powerless against you. He may not leave, but he has no jurisdiction over you. He may not leave, his bark is bigger than his bite. He may not leave because the Lord has sent the enemy there as a reminder that the reason you crossed over wasn't because of your ability, it was because I took the fight out of the devil. I took the fight out of him. His heart melted. His heart melted. Their heart melted when they heard what God was doing. And lastly, and in closing, you got to remember your stones. you got to remember that God doesn't remove opposition. He takes the fight out of the enemy. But then, number three, you got to know that sometimes being obedient to God is discouraging. Now don't lose me. Can I explain something to you? The Bible says this. The Bible says, verse number two, after they got into the promised land, the Bible says at this time, the Lord said to Joshua, make some flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel the second time. Now you know their parents died in the wilderness. They were all circumcised. These people are not circumcised. And circumcision was the sign of the covenant of the Hebrew people. Is that right? So God would have them to be circumcised. It was a mark on the flesh as a symbol that they are in covenant with God. Now in this new dispensation, we don't have to physically cut ourselves because the Spirit of God, when He comes inside of us, He cuts our heart with the Word of God. It, can I just say something to you? Do you know circumcision is a private thing? It's in a private location. But did you know that when God works on an individual, He works in the private places? He works in the private places of your heart. He said, obedience can be discouraged. You know why? This is what He said, Pastor Ronnie. They're in their new land. And God said, Joshua, Get you a knife, take all your men, 
line them up, one, start circumcising them. Now that sounds a little gruesome, but that's what's happening. Line them all up at the hill. Go right down the row, circumcise them. And then, you've got to read the Bible. Because I'm going to let you go home, but before I go home, I might just have a Pentecostal fit because of what I just found. Is there any Pentecostals in the building? Is Any Pentecostals in the balcony? Is there? Can anybody just wave your hand and say, just preach on preacher right here? Because the Spirit said something to me. He said, they were circumcised on the tenth day, is what the Bible says. We just read it. Or excuse me, they were in the promised land on the tenth day. They came in on the tenth day. On the fourteenth day, or the eleventh day, they were circumcised. On the fourteenth day, they celebrated Passover. Okay, so hold on. So, so the tenth day, they crossed over. The eleventh day, he circumcised the men. On the fourteenth day, God said, I want you to have a Passover. Now hold on, look at it. He said, verse number, he said, I want you to, verse number two, Verse number three, I want you to circumcise them. Joshua 5, 3. Make, get your knives, circumcise the sons of Israel at the heel of the foreskin. Circumcise them. Verse number seven, Joshua 5, 7. Look at the verse. Verse number seven, then Joshua circumcised the sons whom he raised up in this place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was that when he had finished circumcising all of the people, that they stayed in their places in the camp until they were healed. In other words, they stayed there until the bleeding stopped. Okay? Verse number 9. And the Lord said to Joshua, I have removed the reproach of Egypt from off of you. He says, even the stigma of Egypt is removed off of you because you're obedient. My God. See, obedience can remove the stigma of the world off of you. Obedience can remove the reproach of the world off of you. So, so he was obedient. Now get this. I've removed the reproach of Egypt from off of you. This day I've called it Gilgal. Verse number 10. Look. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal, and they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. I'm going to say this, so hopefully you don't lose me. Everybody look at me. The 10th day they came into the land... The 11th day, they were circumcised. The 14th day, they celebrated Passover. What is Passover? Passover was a celebration of the people of God that God delivered them from Egypt because the death angel passed over them. So God said for future generations every year, I want you to be thankful that I got you out of Egypt. <laughs> Somebody say amen. And so, and, so, and so, you see that communion table over there? Old Testament contained is New Testament explained. We're having communion this morning because it is a spiritual Passover. When we partake of the blood and the body this morning, we are remembering that the death angel has passed over us and we have been brought out of darkness and we have been brought into light. We have been brought out of Egypt and we have been brought into the promised land. We have been delivered from Pharaoh and we have been brought into God's kingdom. Do you hear me? you hear me? And so, and so, he said, I want you to circumcise them on the 11th day. 
You brought in the tenth. You're circumcised the next day, which is the eleventh day. The fourteenth day, I want you to be thankful and have a praise party for what I did for you. Now, I know you ain't shouting, and maybe I just need to shout here. So you're saying, Lord, I am in pain. The bleeding stopped, but I'm in pain. And you want me to be thankful. God said, yes, in all of your pain, I still want you to give thanks. Woo! Can somebody help the preacher this morning? He said, he said, in your pain. I know you just was circumcised. I know that you're going through a hard time. But he says, in three days after you're circumcised, I want you to have a praise party. I want you to remember what I did for you. I want you to remember that I brought you out of Egypt by my mighty hand. I want you to remember how I dried up the Red Sea, how I dried up the Jordan River. I want you to praise me in your pain. Can somebody help the preacher out? And see, and see what happens, what happens, we don't want to praise God when we're in pain. We want to fold our hands and say, preacher, move me. You don't know how bad my life is. You don't know what I went through this week. But ladies and gentlemen, I come to let you know that you'll never get out of the wilderness if you don't learn to praise God in your pain. If you don't learn to throw your hand up and throw back your head and give God some praise and give God some glory. How? How dare you sit in your seat this morning and not give God praise? You know he healed you. You know he delivered you. You know he's provided for you. God said, I want to make sure you know when you come into this new land that you have no excuse and no reason not to praise me. I don't care if you are in pain. I still want a little thanksgiving on the 14th day. Because real growth And real maturity happens when we know how to praise God in spite of how we Because if it was all about how you feel, everybody would do it. That's what we call radical faith. And how did I get up here? I just get crazy. Are y'all with me? Is this all right? I know I just went old school preaching, but sometimes that old school spirit gets on me because that's what I was raised with. So every once, every once in a while, you know what I'm talking about? Every once in a while, I want to just throw my head back and throw my arms up and say hallelujah. Is there anybody in the building that just once in a while, you just want to praise God once in a while? Is there anybody that can stand to your feet and say, I just need to praise God for what he's done, what he's doing for my life? I want to praise God in my pain. Hold on, hold on. So, 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 remain standing. And this is what happens. They said after they praised God on the 14th day, the Bible says, verse number 11, Joshua 5, 11, after the Passover, and they ate the produce of the land on the day after the Passover. In other words, they got their inheritance after they learn how to praise God in their pain. Did you hear me? They learn how to praise God 
in their pain. And because of that, they ate the produce. The word produce means they ate the abundance of the land. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you, there's an abundance waiting for this church. Do y'all feel us crossing on over? I don't know. Is there anybody in here radical just like I am? Is there anybody that just feels a crossing over spirit? Woo! I said, is there anybody that feels a crossing over spirit? Hallelujah! He crossed on over and he ate the produce of the land. What are you saying, Pastor? You've got to have some stones. You can look back and say, uh-uh, devil. God did it for me then. I know he's going to bring me out. I, I, I don't got 12 stones. I got 15 stones. I got all kinds of stones I can look back. And not only that, but just because there's opposition coming against me doesn't mean I'm not doing what's right. Because God doesn't always remove opposition. Do you know you have to have some force of opposition when you work out? Because if you don't have opposition when you work out, the muscles don't get stronger and they don't get bulk. So when you begin to work out against opposition, it creates a stronger strength in you. The reason that there is opposition is because God is saying your strength is too weak and I want to make sure your strength is stronger. So i got to put a little bit more opposition against you to develop your strength level. So guess what? If you're facing opposition this morning, you better just throw your head back. Praise God, because you're coming out of this thing. You're much stronger than what you were when you went in this thing. And they ate the produce of the land. What about it, folks? What about it? I know you feel that pull, that opposition. But I'm letting you know it's good for you. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Because we're getting ready to cross on over. I think we're already in the water. We're crossing on over right now. Hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah.